I was really taken by her question, what does it mean to be human? What, what is the saying about what it means to be human? And I've noticed that young people seem to treat their online interactions almost as more real than their embodied interactions. Like their real life is on Instagram. Their real life is on Snapchat or TikTok or whatever. Like those connections are where relationships happen and embodied life is sort of an extra. Whereas you would think it should be the other way around (laughs) that the online stuff is extra and our embodied relationships are the real deal. I'm Jane Wilcox, and you are listening to Shaklesiology, Girls Talk in Church. Tell your girls a story, I won't tell you a lie. Anything you want, you can do it just fine. Come on. In today's episode, we explore Felicia Wu Song's concept of church as counter-liturgy. Dr. Song is a cultural sociologist, a professor at Westmont College, and a scholar at the intersection of faith and digital technologies. Her latest book, published in 2021, is Restless Devices, Recovering Personhood, Presence, and Place in a Digital Age. I admire Dr. Song's determination to push back against the mindless habits around handheld technology that has become what she would say ill-formational in our lives. She calls us to consider how the church can be a community whose collective practices of resistance shape us to be the kind of kingdom people we long to become. We discuss how the church can be a place of counter-liturgies so that we resist the lure of ever-present, always-on technology in our everyday lives. Besides myself, Shaklesiology is... M. Ho. Jennifer Johnson. Chris Ann Swartley. Before we dive into the first question, I want to say just a little bit about Felicia Wu Song. I was first introduced to Song's work in 2019, pre-COVID, when I attended an in-person conference held by the Center for Pastor Theologians, and she was the keynote speaker. In the uh, hour-ish long presentation, I was so enamored with her insights, I was trying to scribble down everything she was saying. Uh, because it all remarkably rang true to my experiences personally and corporately with overcoming just really bad, poor digital habits. Uh, So I was quite happy to find out that her talk, which is called Digital Life as Secular Liturgy, had been recorded and made available on the CPT, Center for Pastor Theologians website. So you can find that talk at www.pastortheologians.com. She also has a website, uh, www.feliciawusong.com, and that's feliciawusong.com. So the first question is simply, uh, is Dr. Song correct about um, the habits that we've created around digital, digital technology, sometimes what she calls digital ecology and permanent connectivity? So I'm going to read a quote uh, from her book. She writes, if we begin to pay attention to not only the cerebral and cognitive content of our lived experience, but also the visceral and bodily, we might begin to see how our mundane digital practices are hardly docile and inconsequential. Mm -hmm. They are, in fact, doing a work on us. 
developing in us capacities, desires, and longings for a particular version of the good life. Let me stop there for just a second, because I think that phrase, the good life, is what she would say sociologically, uh, and I would say theologically loaded. I think it's enough for us to say, let's say, um, for the good life is the flourishing of humans. I think Mm -hmm. that's fair. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She goes on, any liturgy, whatever its content or intention, functions to shape us. It just depends on whether it points us towards the kingdom of God or something else in which we are resting our security and hope. Mm. She suggests that our ever on digital consciousness has been formed by quote, secular liturgies. And this is a term that she borrows from the work of James K.A. Smith in his book, Desiring the Kingdom, which Mm -hmm. I love how she weaves together sociology Mm -hmm. and theology in that way. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Uh, And just to quickly unpack uh, secular liturgies, um, since it's pretty much foundational to uh, Song's challenge for the, the church to resist um, these liturgies. For Song, uh, secular liturgies are, I'm going to quote her, personal and cultural habits that we routinely practice with our bodies and which have the effect of misforming our desires. She would say, along with Smith, that those secular habits and practices serve to distort um, the desires and corrupt the uh, corrupt what we love supremely when we falsely satiate the desires and loves with all the, the digitally saturated life that we live and the promises of that of of what permanent connectivity offers. Then also draws us away from the good life, that of in being in communion with God, with one another, and mm-hmm. um, living the kingdom. So here's the question. Um, When she says that most of us have too easily followed the cues of our society and culture, and we have come to believe that that the stakes of our digital practices are low, but if we do not begin to evaluate our secular liturgies and take the time to consider our more deeply taken for granted impulses, to glance at our devices whenever a notification buzzes, she says, I fear that we, we will be a people who are flirting with disaster. Mm. Is she correct? So what do you guys think? Yeah, I think when we were uh, preparing for this episode and listening to that talk, it was almost, I, I, like she also mentions confession, it's almost a little shameful how mm. many times I checked my phone while I listened to her message. And that's like not even a joke. Like I, It's embarrassing to admit how many times I checked my phone or I went to go do yes. something else. And um, yeah, so I, I feel very, um, I feel very humbled that this is our topic of conversation mm. this round, uh, because I, I cannot deny the influence of secular liturgy and the influence of social media, the use of digital platforms in my life um, as the residential, as a residential millennial here. Yeah. Um, I very much, like, I had a childhood that didn't have technology and social media. Uh, I remember that. But very much a lot of my formative years, you know, end of college. By end of college, I had an Instagram account. Uh, and I pretty much never looked back uh, from then. So I think it's it's so true. And I think it's jarring to have her pointed out uh, and just to see how much of my life is mm-hmm. so intermeshed that it is very hard to think of blocks 
uh, or areas of my life that have not been touched or have not been influenced by social and digital media. Can I just ask a question? Is there an important difference between digital media in general, like a Kindle, an audiobook mm -hmm. app, uh, podcasting apps? Is there a difference between that and social media? Like I, podcasts are not a problem. We are so pro podcasts, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I, I mean, think that's I just, a really fair question because she talks yeah. about how these apps and these social media things are, are designed to give us quick dopamine hits and to draw us into repetitive, addictive behavior. Whereas choosing to listen to a book instead of reading it is arguably mm. much less problematic. Right. So yes. You know, podcasts, Kindle, so, you know, those digital devices are not two-way, right? Mm -hmm. So when we listen to a podcast, we're just listening. When we're reading a Kindle, we're just true. reading. Um, she was really focusing on, and I think as a sociologist, I don't want to overspeak for her behalf. Her primary concern seemed to be the way in which we were being formed away from social interaction with one another this embodied um, gathering or the, or the embodied uh, exchange. Well, but in the same way, reading a paper book is only one way communication, reading yes. the newspaper is only one. So, I mean, then yes. we're, then we're opening up media to a, a larger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and yeah. I think without getting away from what Kim was saying, which is the really um, convicting part of this, which I think we need to keep coming back to throughout this conversation. So I'm not trying to get away from that. And I share yeah. the conviction, but I think we also have to add the idea of intention into this conversation because mm -hmm. I, one of the things I picked up in, in both what we read from her and in, in her lecture was this idea of why we're using the media. What, are we trying mm -hmm. to avoid boredom? Are we trying to avoid ourselves? Mm -hmm. Are we trying to avoid our own stresses, our own sadnesses, our own inability to be present? Or yeah. mm -hmm. is it just easier for us to listen to books than to read them? You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So I think we oh, also yeah. have to think about the intention. If I'm, um, if I'm picking up my phone to scroll Twitter, because I don't want to do the hard task I have to do at work, or I don't want to talk to the people living with me in my house because I'm tired. That's one choice. If, if I'm picking up Twitter to scroll through because I have set aside 15 minutes or whatever it is to, because I enjoy Twitter and I want to see what's going on that day, that's a different intention. So yeah, again, not yeah. to split hairs to defend <laughs> things that are not helpful or that, or to, <laughs> to deny the addiction. But I do think it's helpful to think about um, in, when we talk about this whole idea of formation, Yeah, what are we leaning toward? We're always, you know, C.S. Lewis said, we're every choice. We, I think he said every choice we make, we're either leaning toward God and kingdom or we're leaning away from it. I'm paraphrasing. Mm -hmm. but, so what are we leaning toward and why is an important question for me? Yes. Um, because I'm, with Kim. I mean, there's times when I did manage to pay pretty good attention to the video because I was taking notes, but I did pick up my phone a couple of times. Like, I wonder what's going on. Nothing was going on. It was nope. Sunday night at nine o'clock. Nothing's Nothing. going on. Right. Absolutely nothing. So, you know, why do I feel like I have to stay tethered to it? I think that's yep. the question. And I think that's what's interesting because the way Jane phrased the question, she pulled the question and she quoted the book, but in the lecture, 
Dr. Song uses the word train instead of formation when we mm. got to that part. And to me, that has a much stronger indication that a training mm. means I am learning and then responding. Like you can form something. Like when you form, like you form clay, the clay doesn't act back at you. But when you train a dog to, you know, throw a ball and bring it back, they're responding <laughs> to something in the environment. It's very active. It's mu- very much a two-way yeah. street. And so for me, the word, tr- when she paired training and permanent connectivity I'm like oh yes like we can see that we want connection and she even you know goes to break down what's connection versus sharing but I'm like oh am I she says like are we being trained towards becoming some kind of person to bring it back Mm -hmm. to Jen's question it's just like what is this moving us towards and then in contrast was it moving us away from Mm -hmm. the idea of permanent connectivity that she sort of demyths this idea that that's the hope that we have with social media, that we are, we, and, it, and it, I mean, there's something awesome about uh, staying connected with relatives that I wouldn't normally yep. know what's going on in their lives on a semi-regular basis um, or high school friends or, or whoever. The myth is that we are, we are connecting with others uh, the way that we were created to connect. And she would say, that's not what's happening. There's something mm-hmm. else that's being shaped and formed or, or that, as you, as you noted, Kim, uh, that we are training ourselves um, mm-hmm. to be. I feel like I need to do confession because I, I, feel, I feel the tension. It's why I was, I was so enamored with her talk because it's just so true in my life. Probably over the last few months, I, I put a control app on my phone for, <laughs> it's, it's like, you know, Google has this focus function. So you turn on focus for a certain period of the time and you can choose the apps that it will block. So I have it blocking Facebook because that tends to be my, well, that's, that's what I was wondering what it is. When do I go? Because you can, you can take a break from focus. (laughs) So you can, it could be five minutes, 15 minutes or 30 minutes. And I always do five, just five because why? I don't know. I don't know. I pick up my phone. I actually note to myself, like, Mm, I can't think anymore. Gra- I habitually grab my phone, mm-hmm. take a break, and I'll just mindlessly scroll. It's absolutely mindless. Like, why don't I get up right. and go outside and take a walk? But instead, I just scroll. And sometimes it'll ask you, and it always asks you, would you like a longer break? Well, just five more minutes. <laughs> but that's, that is, that's what's happening in me. It's like, I, I just, I, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and so I go and I do something mindlessly. I think the next question is, wh- what am I reaching for? Not just mm-hmm. the break, but in terms of community or connection, what am I reaching for? I was really taken by her question. What does it mean to be human? Mm. What, what is the saying about what it means to be human? And I've noticed that young people seem to treat their online interactions almost as more real than their embodied interactions. Like their real life is on Instagram. Their real life is on Snapchat or TikTok or whatever. Like those connections are where relationships happen and embodied life is sort of an extra. Whereas you would think it should be the other way around (laughs) that the online stuff is extra and our embodied relationships are the real deal. Mm. The, the I, primary, primary is maybe a better way yeah. to say it. I think she uses the word disruption 
um, any embodied involvement or interaction is now a disruption to our virtual world. Uh, and she was not- notably, she was talking about the classroom. Yes. Um, how, I don't know if I can absolutely confirm my same experience or draw the same conclusion that she would. Um, but I'm also not teaching English where you're asking them literally to be present to a text that they're reading. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's all a distraction uh, to their digital world. What is it? Who are, who are these folks becoming when their digital world is reality and the embodied is a disruption? Yeah, that we, we might be a people who are flirting with disaster. Well, I don't think it's any... There's, there's causation and correlation, and I'm not smart enough or informed enough to make a definitive statement here. But I also know that I've been reading a lot of articles recently about the rise of mental health issues in young adults and in teenagers. And this is the first generation that grew up with phones from the time of elementary school or even before. And I think there's a lot of factors that play into that. I'm certainly not saying that if you took away Instagram and iPhones that everybody would would be doing great right now. But when you ask them, because I've read some of these surveys as I've been researching Gen Z mm-hmm. for my own work at university and um, just trying to understand this generation and the dynamic shaping them. And they will say they often feel left out. They often feel mm-hmm. less than they often feel um, kind of what she describes about how there's this whole life passing you by. Like there's always something else happening. There's the FOMO, the fear of missing out. So there's all these dynamics in play, which are piling on to what is already a very difficult time of life. And in a, in a time, and this is where it comes back to there's multiple issues and in a time when there's plenty of other stuff to (laughs) be depressed and anxious about, you know, but I just don't think it's helping. Um, I also would be interested not to take us too far afield because she, this isn't the focus of Dr. Song's research, but I'm also interested just tangentially, um, how are we feeding those types of things that are already problems like mental health mm-hmm. issues or like ADHD? How are we feeding that with giving, basically you're giving somebody an attention, like it's, it's optimized to destroy their attention span. It's optimized to destroy their self-esteem here. Let's give one to everybody when they're 11. Right. And not only just the, the regular issues that we face, but at like a deeper fundamental spiritual level of like self-centeredness. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at one point she's like, the problem is that we are trying to create connections and networks of connections that are completely uh, revolving around us. Mm-hmm. And the problem yeah. is that you have everyone trying to make networks where you are at the center <laughs> and we're just bumping each other, vying for centeredness, mm. essentially. Um, and it's like, yeah, isn't that the problem to begin with? That connection is actually not about putting ourselves at the center. It's about holding both intention, mm. but the way that we use social media, it's very self-centered, which is why it's great to be on social media if you want to be at the center because it's your account. You can post what you want. You can retweet what you want. You have full control, full curation of your centeredness, mm-hmm. and yes. no one can really impact that. I mean, people can react to it, but you know, you can turn off comments. You can, you can block people. Uh, you can do a lot. There's so many tools that allow you to regain and keep control of your centeredness in your social media presence. Yep. Well, and I loved, I loved, loved, loved what she said in that section of, of her book where she talks about this, this um, scarcity mentality for attention. Mm -hmm. And then she says the economy of the Eucharist is abundance. Mm. There's no shortage at the table. Yes. Yep. 
Um, because of course the table's not about us. Yeah. Ooh, say it again. (laughs) (laughs) But that's where it comes back full circle to Kim's having a moment. She's having a moment. (laughs) It'll preach. Come on. (laughs) That's where it comes back to, um, you know, the liturgy, both in terms of our faith spaces, but then also the Mm -hmm. liturgies that we choose at a personal level. Um, and I think, and, and I think we're going to get to this as we continue to discuss, but I think identifying values, you know, I talked a minute ago about the intention behind Mm -hmm. a choice that a choice can be positive or negative or neutral based on the intention. I think we also have to think about our values for, um, there are some apps and platforms and choices that can be connected. I mean, to your point, Jane, I love staying in touch with my family, my brother and his his wife and child live in New York. I get to see them maybe once or twice a year, but I get a constant parade of videos of my five-year-old nephew. Mm. His, his newest thing is he likes to do um, slow-mo videos. He learned how to make slow-mo videos on his mom's <laughs> phone. And so he does slow-mo videos of him doing like action star stuff, like jumping on the couch. Aww. I mean, that brings joy to my heart. Yes. It's so It's so innocent and pure and fun. So I would miss out on that, right? Yeah. Yep. But that doesn't, mean that I don't find other ways to stay connected. So every Wednesday night, I write him a letter. We're pen, we're sort of pen pals. He can write his name. Um, <laughs> <Go> start. <laughs> yeah. So it's about, but to, so the point is, it's about like not settling for that as the only, like there's right. more to connectivity yep. than, than what we have. And then also choosing like, what's the value that we're giving it? Why are we engaging with that media? Mm-hmm. I think to circle back, uh, Jen hit that point about the the opposite of the self-centeredness is like the Eucharist and that table. And mm-hmm. it's like, yes, it's a table of abundance. And I love where I think in the lecture, she says like where we learn to subvert the zero sum game of our society. And I'm like, wow, that's yeah. really powerful. Because we think that, oh, in order to like play this game of social media and attention, there's, there are winners and there are losers. Like there's yeah. more for me and less for you. Um, and that's completely the opposite of what society tells us society because society makes us fight uh it's like there's not enough to go around um but the communion table is the complete opposite of that there is more than enough space mm-hmm. more than enough attention more than enough love and grace for everyone here um and so could i had to jump back on the point because i thought that just ooh, like to that it, it kind of gives it an edge right like oh i want to yeah. like oh society's going to play that game it's like oh we have to play a different game then to combat yeah. that yeah mm-hmm. okay the main question that we are uh, walking through is really the role of the church. Song writes, quote, we might begin to imagine our church sanctuaries and our church communities similarly as counter spaces to the dominant digital culture. To do so would require recognizing that our church communities, like any organization or institution, are in fact what sociologists call plausibility structures. Kind of a fun word she uses here, um, and I'm just going to quickly define it. Otherwise, it's not going to be very helpful. So uh, she defines plausibility structures as establishing the horizons for which is imaginable, meaningful, and likely, insofar as any group's life together consists of shared rules and practices within a distinct culture of assumptions and expectations they act as plausibility structures. <clears throat> so when I read that, um, she actually opens both her talk and earlier in her book, defining social imaginaries, which from uh, Charles Taylor, 
so again, she's uh, exercising her expertise in sociology. But what comes to mind uh, with the church functioning as a plausibility structure is the idea that there's a different kind of social imaginary going on here that she is introducing us to. And for me, that sounds like the kingdom of God that Jesus references when he says things like the kingdom is my kingdom is not of this world. And so there's this alternate reality for Christians uh, that we're uh, being invited into. And we begin to uh, live it out when we come together as the church, that faith community that is called to look like the kingdom of God on earth. That is that alternative reality or what she um, uh, suggests that it is on the horizon or the edge of what is plausible. And I love that because that's the picture of the church being on the edge of uh, hope. Mm -hmm. Um, Song challenges the church to then take up the task uh, to be that plausible structure. And she writes, the long-term solutions to our digital discontents are not to merely limit or remove devices or apps from our daily lives, but require a fundamental reordering of our loves. Mm Mm-hmm. I know. Yeah, ah, quite Augustinian. She goes on. The church is exactly the place and the people with whom we can collectively explore what it means to cul- cultivate appetites that are fixed on the kingdom of God. So much so that the otherwise captivating allure of promises of our digital world become powerless. Yeah, here's the question for us to think through. What is the role of the church to practice collective counter liturgies? And I stuck that collective part in there because I mm-hmm. think uh, it's essential and it's part of what she is uh, suggesting mm-hmm. to practice collective counter liturgies as a way to push back against our being formed by digital habits and also to preserve the sacred space um, in our lives and our churches. And I think she would say, as, along with Smith, Uh, ultimately, so that we are formed into the kingdom people we were created and meant to be. Mm -hmm. So what's the role of the church? If we worship for an hour or two, and I think she said we spend on average five hours Mm -hmm. a day on our devices, how do we take that then out of the collective corporate experience? Because... Mm -hmm we all know people were discipled by things other than church over the last seven years. We've done podcasts on that already. We don't need to recover that ground, but the same principle applies. Like if we're being, if our desires are being formed in certain directions, five to 12 hours a day, it's still valid to ask what the one or two hours a week can do to reshape us. Every, every church has a liturgy, you know, liturgy is the work of the people. Every, every church that worships has a liturgy, but we've tend to adopted that in America to, to mean more of a high church um, expression. And that's what my husband and I um, do. That's the type of church that we attend, but I spend a lot less time doing the confession, passing the peace, celebrating the feast of the Eucharist than I do on Facebook. But I, I, I love that because you answered my question. So someone who does not, I don't come from a high church tradition. So when the word liturgy gets passed around, I'm like, it kind of either sounds spooky or it sounds cool, depending on what context <laughs> you're using it. Um, yeah. But I think I, 
I can appreciate like oh it's the it's like what it's like the collective work of the people and I think even when um Song opens up that chapter in her book just being like hey just like come and come together in class and you'll get 75 percent participation if you just sit here put your body in a chair and breathe with everyone I'm like wow the bar <laughs> is so low <laughs> the bars and in a way right like it's like oh liturgy is not meant to be like this gatekeeping component mm. liturgy is supposed to be this collective thing and I think you're I think Jen hits on that is that right the works are collective but the hunger also is a shared hunger there's a mm. shared hunger that the liturgy must answer and the liturgy must like feed in a sense um and so it's interesting because uh at one point I think Thong says that like our theologies can paint a different picture and feed a hungry people mm. but I yeah. think we're if I'm I'm just taking I'm just taking the shovel and digging deeper with Jen's question and completely yeah. pushing Jane's is yeah. Uh, like, what is the hunger, right? Like, what mm-hmm. are we hungering for that five hours on Facebook feeds, but an hour and a half on Sunday might not? Yeah, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a chicken and egg thing, because I think what Smith and what Song would say is that our choices shape us and train us and form us in such a way that our desires are shaped. Yep. Mm-hmm. But we also have to acknowledge that some of it is choosing to act and waiting for our feelings to, to follow. Mm-hmm. because to your point, Kim, you know, um, if I need affirmation or validation or, um, distraction from my own stuff, and that's what I'm going to social media for. Yes. Jesus is a much better source for all of those things. Um, but it's harder. There's mm-hmm. no instant gratification yeah. with Jesus, which really is one of the things I like least about him, to be honest. I mean, come on. <laughs> the divine timing thing is just really rough. I feel like someone now needs to make an action figure. <laughs> Instant gratification, Jesus. I, I want to see that. I mean, occasionally he would play that game, right? Here, you can walk, here you can see. Yeah, but a yeah. lot of times that yeah. wasn't the that wasn't the play. So right. Yeah, right. It was let me give you living water. It's like, um, yeah but i'm still actually thirsty right now right and i don't know what you're talking about yeah hey friends i want to jump in while i have your ear and let you know that i've recently launched a facebook page called ecclesiology listening community my hope is that it creates a space for dialogue among our listeners and with the women you hear on the podcast i'd encourage you to post your thoughts on the page when something we've said intrigues compels or even angers you Let us wrestle through it together, sharing ideas, sources, practices, and fresh ideas about the church that includes and supports your voice. Search on Shaklesiology in the Facebook app and click join. See you there. So I'm going to go back to the collective part and Mm -hmm. that she is talking about this, the plausibility structure, which in my mind translates, if if a church is is a plausibility structure that lives on the horizon of what could be. That is the church together doing that, creating this social reality or or social imaginary. We could do that alone. We could perhaps practice counter liturgies on our own. I think she would challenge that without the network of a people that are committed to this different kingdom reality, um, it's already hard. The discipline of good 
digital habits is sort of like raising your hand up to a tsunami uh, from even for myself. I mean, let's, let's take the example of being in a classroom, whether it's a college classroom or from my son's experience, high school classroom, getting them to not use their phones is incredibly difficult. Mm-hmm. We realize that these, these phones and I, the, the image that I will use at the very first day of class is I ask them, if you're going to have to have your phone next to you, you need to have it face down because it's sort of like, does anyone have a dog uh, that you're eating dinner and that dog is sitting right next to you begging for your attention? They'll whimper, they'll whine, they'll ding and buzz and notify. Mm -hmm. That's what that, that's the attention that that phone is demanding of us wrestling through new habits or counter liturgies, right? That, uh, that rejects this myth of permanent connectivity, but the commitment to a different reality that let's, let's, let's counter this world that's shaping us in ways that for kingdom people is, is not what, who we want to become. So I throw the and, and maybe it's not fair. And I understand the one hour, five hour thing uh, in terms of just commitment of time, I completely agree. But when we talk about the community that community and the, the, the power of the community that we're committing to this new reality, that may um, be more meaningful than the hours that we're putting in. So that's my thought on, on, that- on the... That's what I was going to say is that maybe this sounds naive or maybe I'm just speaking by faith, but I feel like if we are truly pointing people toward Jesus and if we are truly enacting a kingdom reality together every time we meet, I feel like that's going to speak even no, I, I totally agree that our desires are being misshaped and malformed by all of these practices with our phones and iPads and whatnot. I still believe because each human being is created in the image of God, that there are God-shaped desires mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. will always mm-hmm. be there. And if we, yeah, even if it is just one hour a week, if we're coming together as followers of Jesus and the spirit is doing something which I take on faith that the spirit is doing something when we gather together, I feel like that, that does have the power to tap into something, (laughs) something innate and God made in each person that it'll help. I think it was a podcast that I was listening to. um, Dr. Song explained how she got into this arena of technology and, um, the digital habits that are shaping and forming us and between undergraduate, I think it was between her undergraduate and graduate work. Um, she taught at a private high school and it was right at the pivot point when email snuck in. She noted that no one was questioning the potential impact of this n- new communication media that was Uh, easily being picked up and used. And she wasn't questioning what it was doing to us. And she said she did note among the high school girls that it was changing them in some way. 
Um, and so this is what kind of got her going down this path of um, just how socio- social media and digital devices uh, impact us as a community, as a society. The fact that no one was raising the question, I think, as Chrisanne just said, even one hour a week, or even for us to say, and I'm going to tell a story a little bit later, uh, that we, we tried this, you know, no device rule on Sunday morning, um, just to pose the possibility, the plausibility of maybe we should not let our devices dictate how we spend our attention all the time. Just even the question of, is this good? Is this, is this shaping us to be the people we were meant to be? And if that is the role of the church, even just to question it, at least someone is questioning it. Is this good? Go ahead, Kim. What were you going to say? No, but now I want to respond to the thing you said. And uh, it's too <laughs> Pace yourself, girl. Pace I know, yourself. Gotta, I have to breathe. <laughs> Should have a sip of water. I need to breathe. Um, I think, okay, circling back. Circling back to Jen's, Jen's self-proclaimed sad point is that <laughs> um, what, I, what I actually think is, uh, rather than being a sad point, I think it's actually a very humanizing point, mm-hmm. is that there's not only as the collective, like the liturgy is the collective to move the work forward, but the collective of the group also has the shared hunger. And I really like the word that we've been using about that because I think that's just very, very like visceral, very basic. Everyone has felt hunger. And so I think in order to, um, like Song says, like have those plausibility structures to establish a horizon. I think you have to also establish like where you're starting from and that place of hunger that like, hey, like we've all been there. Like we get it. Like we all know why we're on social media. Like we don't have to fake it to each other. And like, can we also start from a place of vulnerability mm-hmm. to admit that we are hungry and that we want we want instant gratification, Jesus, um, the action figure uh, to like meet those needs. And it's like, hey, like, we can also admit that we know that we need that questioning and we need that disruption and it's okay to question and disrupt it together because it's not, uh, it's not a one-on-one pointing fingers. Like I'm a better Christian than you. It's like, as the collective, we are moving and we want to look at the same horizon Mm -hmm. together and that our hunger can be met together. I think that's another part. I think it's one, a humility of establishing a hunger that we all have to the vulnerability to admit that. And then finally, that there's a viable other option. And that is like what the positive structure offers the church mm-hmm. and the new horizon. It is possible to have that hunger met somewhere else and that we can do it together. And it's better together as, as corny as that is. I think she brings up that part about spiritual disciplines as like the new diet to combat <laughs> social media. And I thought that was really game changing to me because I've always learned about spiritual disciplines being done individually. Like sure, like right. when you fast, like pray corporately, but the act of like fasting or, or quiet time or whatever, like, oh, that matters to the collective. I've never mm. really given it that much thought that at the collective level, it's very powerful. And so that got me thinking, I'm like, oh, not even just questioning, like, uh, it's it's possible. It is possible to move the collective forward, to look at the same horizon, to want the mm. same things. I think it's about casting a vision to your point, Jane, to your original point of what, yes, we're all struggling with this. And yes, we're, you know, we, we have our phones with us every minute and we are not together every minute, but what is the vision for what we could be as a people? Mm. And why is that better? 
like not just, and I think one of the things I liked, one of the notes I made as I was reading her stuff was, um, let me see if I can pull it up here. Um, the development of our counter liturgies should be animated by a robust and theologically grounded story about who we are as persons and what kind of life we are trying to live. Mm. It's about vision. It's not about guilt over you look at your phone too much. It's not about legalism. Mm -hmm. Good Christians don't have phones. It's not about suffering for the sake of being unhappy because Jesus likes us to be unhappy. It's about what kind of life are we trying to live? Mm -hmm. Do you want a life where you can't not look at your phone every 30 seconds? I don't want that life. So what am I doing to counteract that? Hey, thanks for being a part of our listening community at Shaklesiology. We would love to hear your ideas for future podcast topics. What do you think are the pressing issues facing the church today that women need to be talking about? You can send your topics to ideas at girlstalkingchurch.com. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Come on. Come on and-